Good afternoon, Lafayette. It's here. It's here. If you've got kids in K-12, through spring break is upon us now. Today's dismissal marks the beginning of a little over a week that your kids are going to be at home enjoying, hopefully, some decent weather, although the weather patterns still look a bit unsettled. I know this weekend uh, we could be seeing some more rain rolling through, but overall, it is springtime. The, re- the weather is genuinely nicer and your kids are going to be home for it. 232-1542 if you want to join in the show. This is Joe Cunningham on the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. I need to take you back about six years. It is election night, 2016. And things are not going the way the Democrats want, to, want it to. And the results from Virginia coming in very, very slowly. They thought Virginia would be determined a lot more quickly. And the blue wall, the blue-collar states of the northern Midwest are not coming in for the Democrats. They are trending a little bit red. And Democrats are freaking out. Let's fast forward, actually, six years before that. 2010. In 2010, Barack Obama saw the biggest midterm defeat of any president in American history. The midterm defeat was so bad, even he had to admit it and called it a shellacking. In 2012, the Democrats lost in several races, although they did manage to maintain the presidency. In 2014, the Democrats lost the Senate meaning the Republicans had control of all of Congress. And in 2016, a Republican president won. Now, in those blue-collar states, the exit polling started coming in. Now, you need to know that exit polling, when it's initially released on, on, well, the, the stuff that becomes public on election day is garbage. You should not pay attention to it. It's garbage. It means nothing. It's correct when it's correct, and most of the times it's not. But the networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, all of them, there is exit polling they don't release. They give it to the commentators that are in the green rooms. And it's embargoed. You don't actually see those numbers. They don't get released publicly. But the commentators look at that data, and that's how they develop their talking points for the election night analysis they will be doing for hours on end. And there's one guy, you may recognize his name if I were to say it, but I was talking with him. It was actually on a podcast we were on, and he mentioned that when he got, and this was, this was after, Uh, This is after the election. It was a a podcast I was doing, and he mentioned kind of offhand that one of the things that nobody talked about is what the is what the midterm exit uh, what the exit polling on 2016 showed among union households. Union households were split between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on election day 2016. Nobody goes in and talks about that anymore. It's, it's, it's all in the past. It's, it's, nobody's going back that far and digging into those details. 
But the union vote was split. And that should have been a warning sign to Democrats that what they believed to be their permanent political majority had fully collapsed. Now, there is no such thing as a permanent political majority. You need to understand that. There is never going to be pure Democratic supremacy or pure Republican supremacy. Things change. The party will be in power, and there could be a party that's in power for a while, but they don't hold on to power forever. The Democrats foolishly believed they had a permanent political majority and squandered it with an Affordable Care Act that nobody liked and a lot of a lot of rhetoric that turned voters off. And when it came to 2016 and the union vote was split, that should have been a warning sign to Democrats that the anti-energy and anti-manufacturing policies of a supremely environmental Obama administration lost them key support among unions. Even the union leaders were kind of iffy on who to support. And now look at what's happening in the polling. Barack Obama's, I'm I'm sorry, Joe Biden's approval rating in the latest Quinnipiac poll. Approval versus disapproval total. 54% disapproval, 33% approval. Among Republicans, 94% disapproval, 3% approval. Not surprising. Among Democrats, 12% disapproval, 76% approval. Not surprising. Among Independents, 56% disapproval, 26% approval. Here's where it gets worse. Among men, 59% disapproval. Among women, 50% disapproval. Among those who have a four-year education, 42% disapproval. And that is not even the worst of it. We're going to take a break, and I will give you the worst of it with an even deeper demographic breakdown of Joe Biden's approval here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, the poll I'm referencing, this Quinnipiac poll, Quinnipiac, not a Republican pollster, but I can see where you'd be confused considering the only polled men and women and not all the genders out there. 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the show. Now, again, if you go back to 2016, you dig into the data, Barack Obama, I'm sorry, uh, Barack Obama at the end of his term had managed to lose the Democrats about half the union vote. The union vote was split on election night between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And now, here we are, six years later, despite the Democrats winning the House, winning the Senate, and winning the White House, they are poised to have an even worse midterm election And the poll data, the approval data for Joe Biden right now is a thousand times worse than anything you could have seen come out of the Obama administration. Again, Republicans, 94% disapproval, not surprising. Democrats, 76% approval, not surprising. Although, frankly, if your guys in power should be higher. 
among independents, this is where it gets bad. 56% disapproval, 26% approval. Among men, 59% to 29% disapproval to approval. Among women, 50% disapproval, 37% disapproval. Among the college educated, those that have at least a four-year degree, 42% disapproval. And educated, four-year degree voters typically lean Democrat. And for it to be that close in that demographic is pretty telling. But even more, Biden is losing young voters tremendously. 58% to 21% disapproval to approval for the 18 to 34 age range. For 35 to 49, 36% approval, 52% disapproval. For 50 to 64, 58% disapproval, 35% disapproval. And for voters age 65 and up, it's the only place he's not underwater, the only age range he's not underwater, 48% approved to 46% disapproving. Among men and women, I'm sorry, among white voters, 59% disapproval to 31% approval. Among black voters, 25% disapproval to 63% approval. That's not surprising. But the Democrats have long believed that they were going to have a permanent political majority thanks to one demographic. And that demo is Hispanic voters. Do you know Biden's approval rating? According to this Quinnipiac poll, among Hispanic voters, 54% disapproval, 26% approval, 20% undecided. That is a doomsday scenario for the Democratic Party. Now remember, historically, from April to Election Day of a midterm year, There has been no president that's really improved their polling significantly. What you see right now, the snapshot you see right now, it can get better, but it's impossible, according to historic trends, for the tides to turn so much that they can turn this into a winning scenario. The Democrats are in trouble, and they know it. Beto O'Rourke, on Tuesday, came out swinging and said that the Biden administration should not get rid of Title 42 right now because they don't have a plan. This is the same Beto O'Rourke that just a year ago, and even more recently than that, was calling for the end of Title 42. Title 42 is the health order that allowed the Trump administration to use a pandemic to stop immigration at the border and allow Border Patrol to turn immigrants away. It was a novel approach. A lot of Democrats disagreed with it. Um, The uh, anti-immigration control groups, the the, the pro-immigrant groups were furious about it, but it held up in court. 
And the Biden administration was in no rush to get rid of it while the pandemic was going on. But the Biden administration now believes that when it comes to the border, the pandemic is over. Never mind airplanes where they've just extended masks on airplanes for another two weeks, which upsets me because I'm supposed to be on a plane next week. A week from today, actually. But the Biden administration says, no, the pandemic's not really here anymore. Let's get rid of Title 42. Beto O'Rourke, who is running for governor of Texas, who has called repeatedly for the end of Title 42, is now telling the Biden administration, don't do it without a plan. And they're very specific on this. They're trying to navigate by saying, well, we don't want you to do it without having a plan. But what they're saying is don't do it because we're losing Hispanic voters. We are losing Hispanic voters. Those Hispanic voters whose families came here legally and are now watching people just traipse over the border with no, uh, with no enforcement, it's infuriating them. You know what else infuriates them? The rich white progressives who want to say Latinx or Latinx instead of saying Latina or Latino because they want it to be gender neutral so they don't offend the alphabet crew, the LGBTQ, whatever. That term polls extremely badly for Democrats. But it's white, progressive Democrats and these educated liberals who want to use Latinx because they are terrified of offending the trans crowd. But the term is unpopular among Hispanic voters, a lot of whom are a lot more socially conservative than the progressives who insist on using the term. If the Democrats are seeing, if Joe Biden's only seeing 26% approval from Hispanic voters right now, unless that's a typo on somebody's part, which the numbers add up, it's not. That is a disaster situation for the Democrats. That is the end of the ballgame for the Democrats. 26% approval for Biden among Hispanic voters is doomsday. I've said it multiple times now. It's no longer a red wave. It is a red tsunami. And that tsunami threatens not just control of the House and the Senate, but gives Republicans a very safe margin in the Senate if that holds up. You could see Republicans gaining anywhere from four to six Senate seats, which would be, frankly, unheard of in this era. But you could see that switch. And you can see dozens upon dozens of House seats flip, even House seats that have been drawn on congressional maps with the new census data drawn to be safe blue seats. Republicans are putting money into races in those districts and Democrats are worried about those districts because they see the signs in the polling. It can be safe historically for Democrats, but public opinion right now is not in their favor. And Democrats have forgotten one of the most important rules of politics. I learned it from a friend of mine. Know when you're in the minority even if you think you're right. They are in the minority on so many issues right now, but they think they are right. And they continue to push for it. They are going for broke on the trans issue, on education issues, on all sorts of social issues. 
and it's losing them more and more and more support. And their handling of the economy is losing them more and more and more support. And they have no answer for it. And as a result, their support among Hispanic voters is now down to 26%. Nightmare scenario. We're going to take a bottom of the hour news break. And when we come back on the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, let's talk about Elon Musk and this proposed takeover of Twitter. That and more here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today. Uh, so it looks like, if y'all heard our traffic update earlier, it looks like a lot of the stuff is cleared out, although uh, still seeing. Uh, vehicle accident on West Congress at Montaigne, uh, West Congress at Bertrand, another vehicle accident, uh, West University at John and Foreman at Congress, vehicle accidents there, as well as a stalled vehicle on Northeast Evangelist. So y'all be careful out there uh, driving and be also careful uh, at when you are uh, at home with your kids for spring break because it is spring break and teachers across uh, the parish breathe a sigh of relief. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation for today. All right. So Elon Musk did put a bid to buy per, uh, to, to buy Twitter for $41 billion. And it's been a big thing. Uh, I think what ended up being my most popular tweet of all time, incidentally, comes today. A lot of journalists... This is, this is ridiculous. I don't even care that much about Elon Musk buying Twitter, but the response to Elon Musk potentially buying Twitter, which is not going to happen, by the way, is just nonstop comedy. Twitter is potentially undervalued. A lot of investors look at it and say, 50 bucks a share should be more like 100. But Twitter... The stock value right now is such that Elon Musk can offer $41 billion and he's paying a pretty good premium for the stocks. Uh, he's making uh, shareholders, uh, he's potentially giving them a bit more, a, a pretty good return on their investment if, if this were to go through. Again, very doubtful it will. But the freakout among the media and among Democrats, all of whom... Uh, despise the idea of Twitter without content moderation because it's content moderation that favors them. They're freaking out. Max Boot of the Washington Post, who used to be a conservative before the conservatives stopped listening to him and then switched sides to support Democrats, uh, says that uh, a free and fair democracy needs more content moderation, not less. Not less. Apparently... Democracy works best when you limit the amount of voices in the public square. And yes, Twitter is a public space. It is privately owned, but it is a public space. A lot of people go there to share their views and opinions. Now, maybe a quarter of U.S. adults use Twitter, and not all of them use it uh, with any sort of regularity that, that would make it as public a square as the media and Democrats and everybody would like you to believe. It, it infuriates me that politicians cater their message these days to the fine folks of Twitter. But here we are. But they are freaking out. And what's hilarious is that Max Boot and other reporters at the Washington Post are freaking out about this. 
Why is that funny? Because the Washington Post is owned by a rival billionaire, Jeff Bezos. A billionaire owns the Washington Post and Washington Post reporters and opinion columnists are freaking out about a billionaire owning Twitter because it's a billionaire that believes things that they don't like. It's not even that Elon Musk is a conservative. He's not. But Elon Musk believes, or at least he's out there stating he believes, in the right of free speech, even on these privately owned platforms like Twitter. That when you censor voices, you're actually hurting democracy. And he's got a point in all this. He absolutely has a point. The Democrats don't want, they're, they're free. Oh my God, what if he lets Trump back on? Y'all, I hate to tell you this because y'all won't like me saying it. And the Democrats won't, uh, the, the Democrats will, will act all high and mighty about it. But deep down, Trump going back to Twitter benefits the Democrats. Trump going back to Twitter means that his message can now get out there to a lot of American adults once again, and he can stir up the masses and he can change news cycles on a whim again. It actually benefits Democrats for Trump to be out there. Because right now, the Republican Party is finding a path that doesn't necessarily include Trump. And if he goes in there and starts muddling the message again, and frankly starts trying to get his grievances about 2020 back out there and backed into being mainstream again, it's going to benefit the Democrats. The Democrats would really love for Donald Trump to have a social media presence again, but he doesn't. But Twitter, being owned by a single individual privately like Elon Musk, is something that freaks the Democrats and the media and all those journalists out. They cannot stand the idea that you don't get censored for saying something they don't like. They hate that notion. Now, again, is Elon Musk going to get ownership of Twitter? No, he's not. Twitter's not going to sell. Is he going to go for the hostile takeover? Maybe. But Elon Musk is also a fairly shrewd moneymaker. And he knows that he's driving up the cost of Twitter stock right now. He bought it when it was low, and he's going to sell high, and he's going to make a ton more money off of it. And good for him, because that's how the system works. But in the process of all this, the Democrats are tearing out their hair over the idea that this billionaire could own Twitter. That is crazy. That ownership of Twitter is something that would... I mean, the, the Attorney General of Florida, Pam Keith, threatened to quit... A, a, an, a, an elected official, a supposed grown-up, a Democrat... vowed to delete her Twitter account if Elon Musk became the owner. And she wasn't the only one. Several people who are very progressive, very liberal, some of them elected with a blue check mark next to their name, threatened to leave Twitter. Which is fine because they have been telling conservatives for a while now, hey, you don't like the way Twitter's being moderated, go start your own thing. And they came up with Truth Social and Getter and Parler and all these other platforms. And now what's happening 
it might fall under the uh, ownership of Elon Musk. And now they want to leave. Well, you know what? Learn to code and go make your own website. Go make your own platform. That's what you've been telling conservatives to do. That's where we are as a society. We are having a collective freakout among our elitist branches over who owns a social media website. Oh, and by the way, Elon Musk owning Twitter, the number 17 social media platform in app stores and in the country, owning a, a Elon Musk owning Twitter is bad. But TikTok being controlled by China, which it is, is apparently just fine. And Donald Trump wanting to shut down TikTok in, in the U.S. or force TikTok to move away from China, that was a bad thing. TikTok, by the way, is the number seven social media network of the nation. And your kids are way more on TikTok than they are on Twitter. And TikTok's just collecting their information. It all gets routed through China servers. So now China has your kids' information. I mean, I can't say much. I have a TikTok profile. I don't really post anything on there. I just like scrolling through funny videos like the next person. But that is where we are. People are freaking out that Elon Musk, the guy who, by the way, should be a, a progressive hero because he's innovated the field of electric vehicles. He's the enemy because he believes in free speech and wants to take over Twitter. That's where we are. That's what we're losing our minds about today. 232-1542, if you want to call in and, and talk about what you might be losing your mind about. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about politics. Let's jump into some statewide stuff, what's going on with the legislature. Got some thoughts on a couple bills when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all on this Thursday. And it is a beautiful Thursday. Take advantage of it, Acadiana. So here in Louisiana, we've got uh, several bills that are before the legislature that are causing some concern. But there's one in particular that I need to uh, I need to bring up because it's more the media framing of the bill than the bill itself. I mean, I know that that's a lot of things. I, I haven't narrowed it down at all. But it is uh, Sharon Hewitt's bill. I forget which bill it is. Um, what the what the name of it is, but Sharon Hewitt has a bill that made it out of committee uh, that limits. Um, well, let me let me read the headline because that this is this is my problem. Um, this is the USA Today Network headline: Louisiana lawmakers seek to restrict women's access to abortion drugs. If you are pro-abortion. If you're pro-choice, pro-abortion, you would be horrified and you would want to read that story to figure out what's going on. Republicans in the legislature are not seeking to restrict women's access to abortion drugs. Sharon Hewitt's bill, Senate Bill 388, would make it illegal for companies to provide the two drugs, Mephepristone, and misoprostol through the mail with criminal penalties as consequences. It cleared the Senate Judiciary C Committee on a 3-1 vote. Now, this law requires, according to uh, Greg Hilburn with USA Today Network, 
uh, that the drugs only be dismissed, uh, dispensed and taken in at the presence of physical presence of a doctor. But, um, well, actually, Louisiana law already says that. Hewitt says the current law isn't clear enough. They are going after mail-order, do-it-yourself chemical abortions that have no oversight. And this can actually be a problem. There are loads of stories, not just with this, but loads of stories across the pharmaceutical spectrum where people order something online and it can come from a shady resource without you knowing about it. And it ends up causing some horrible side effect. And as a result, you can end up even worse in a worse position if you take some of these online, uh, some of these medicines that you buy online. Now, in particular, this particular pair of drugs, one that causes the fetus to detach from the lining of the uterus and the other that forces contractions to force the fetus out, the child out. Both of these drugs and the, and the effects they have are, are, you need to be in the presence of a physical doctor for that. And you need a f- doctor in your physical presence to prescribe and give the drugs to you because of how serious those effects are. And if you're getting something online, you can't verify what's actually in the medicines you're allegedly taking. There are dishonest retailers out there. This is a fine bill. It's not restricting access to those abortion drugs, especially when the story itself admits that technically you're already required to be taking those drugs in the presence of a doctor. This clarifies the law. Can you order it and it come to your house and you go across state lines where Louisiana law doesn't require that? Sure. This isn't an abortion restriction measure, but anything that attacks abortion is going to be misconstrued or anything that comes remotely close to attacking abortion. Because again, this really doesn't. Anything that comes remotely close to attacking abortion is going to be misconstrued by the media. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes not. But the inherent reaction by reporters is to be wary or skeptical of measures like this. This is a good thing. But they are so terrified, in many cases, of laws like this, that they have to play up just how bad it could actually be. And it's not. That's where we are. We have, in the state of Louisiana, media freaking out because we don't want people to buy abortion-inducing drugs on the Internet. That seems like a pretty silly thing to freak out about. Now, there are three anti-vaccine bills that are stalled in the Louisiana legislature. And the big concern is enforcement. This also uh, coming from uh, the USA to get, uh, this is being reported in the USA Today network papers, the daily advertisers website and others. Um, uh, Larry Bagley uh, proposed a bill that would make it a misdemeanor crime for government agencies and schools to discriminate against people based on their vaccine status. Um, that is, uh, that's going to be a tricky one because schools already require vaccines. Um, and this goes beyond the COVID-19 one. This is going to be, this, this one's, I think, I don't see it going anywhere. Again, these bills are stalled, but 
I don't see that one going anywhere. Um, I don't think we ought to be just criminalizing everything, said uh, Robbie Carter, a Democrat, on that one. Um, Troy Romero's bill, uh, House Bill 295, require that a COVID antibody test be considered as a substitute for proof of vaccination. That's That one's interesting. I'm not sure about that. I mean, the, the COVID stuff... We're having we're we're fighting these right now, and it's not just Republicans that are fighting the anti-vaccine stuff. It's the the government, the the federal government led by the Biden administration, is still pushing a lot of these COVID requirements on us, despite the fact that the seriousness of COVID is long past. But we're now fighting these bills in our legislature, and while yes, trying to figure out the 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 limits of government power on this is fine. If we're legislating this now, is it going to end up being a good thing? I'm not quite sure on that. And, and, and again, the, the media casting it as three anti-vaccine bills is a bit troublesome because that's not quite what they are. But Romero's bill was killed by committee. You also have House Bill 479, which would require a hospital to grant emergency privileges to a doctor willing to prescribe a treatment that had been requested by the patient but denied by the hospital. I don't know when you start getting into legislate. I mean, that's that's what caused a, a big fuss earlier is when the government got in the way of a pharmacist being able to prescribe uh, ivermectin. That's another issue. So I don't know. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye on those. I'll we'll we'll talk about those later. In the meantime, I'm going to take a 23 hour break, uh, and we will be back tomorrow here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL.